We're in a message series called Maranatha, and we're in part two. Now, the word Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus. Let me see if you're paying attention. Say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm assuming you said that well. If you don't have a paper notes in front of you, go to waterschurch.guide on your phone. It looks like this. Part two of Maranatha, and you can click on the uh, online waterschurch.guide message tab, and it looks like that. Fill in the blanks digitally and follow along with me. Part two, I want to talk to you on the topic of looking for a church for the end of the world. A few years back, there was a movie starring uh, Tina Fey and Steve Carell called Looking for a Friend for the End of the World. The premise is two people uh, met and sort of fell into a great friendship when uh, a meteor or some kind of cataclysmic event was coming for Earth. And, and instead of doing all the crazy things, they found each other. And I didn't watch the whole movie, I'm going to be honest with you, but I was thinking this week about the idea of all the events of our world, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in America, what's happening maybe in your life, and you think, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for it to end, and we talked about that last week, but this week, I want to encourage you, and I want to strengthen your faith, and I want you to be ready for Jesus's return. You know, we don't know the day or the hour, but we are commanded in Scripture to be ready, and, I, and that's what today is all about. I, I pray, and I'm trusting that God is going to encourage your heart, strengthen your faith, build you up, and make you prepared like never before for God's coming, for Jesus' returning. So looking for a church. What kind of church should you have when Jesus comes back? Because like I said last week, there's, there's a 10 virgins in Matthew 25 uh, in the parable by Jesus. 10 virgins are waiting for the Lord's or the, the bridegroom to show up. Five are foolish, five are wise. I want to be in that wise group. That means, that means a lot of the church is not really in the church. That means a lot of the church is not really ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. How about you? Can I get a good amen at every location? Amen. Stand with me for the reading of God's word wherever you are. Stand and read together the word of God with me uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. And we're looking at verse 19 to 25 in his, or 26 depending on your Bible, no, 25, uh, wherever you are in your Bible, Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 19 to 25, it says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, and could somebody give me a good confidence? Confidence, yeah. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen to this last line. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have the opportunity to hear your voice. Through this word, through my voice, 
May, may you guide your people with the words that I say. Give us faith, give us strength, give us hope. And may we walk in the assurance that the writer of Hebrews talks about here, that we can come into your presence to know you, to find you, to see you, to be strengthened in you. God, we ask most of all that we will see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said a good amen. God bless you. Have a seat in the presence of the Lord. Last week I said about how to approach the, the end times and, and we talked about how not to, but before we get that into your notes, I want to just put on the screen Hebrews 10.25 one more time. And, and read it one more time. It says, not neglecting, not forsaking in some translations. By the way, the word forsaking or neglecting there is the same word that Jesus uses on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, there's an idea of you're just cutting off the church from your life. He says, don't neglect, don't forsake, don't give up on meeting together as the church, as is the habit of some. The word habit is ethos. That, that's the word we get ethics from. So this is the ethic of some people. They, they believe in Jesus, but they don't gather in his church. He says, don't do that. Don't be like that. And then he, and he flips it right after the comma. He, he says, but encouraging one another, and look at these next words, and all the more. Say those three words all the more with me on the count of three. One, two, three. All the more. You mean, you mean to tell me that I should be more engaged in church the closer Jesus comes? Yes, because he says all the more as you see the day drawing near. Day is capitalized in your Bible for a reason. That's not just any day. That's not Sunday. That's the day, the day Jesus returns. Here's what the Bible is saying through the book of Hebrews. He's saying, I want you to be more engaged in the body of Christ the closer Jesus' return comes. And we are seeing in our world a need, a need to find Jesus like never before. Muslims are coming to faith. I shared that with you on the deep end this past Last week, um, uh, Hamas leaders have come to Christ. Palestinians have come to Christ. Jews, Jews are coming to Christ. Oh, nations are coming to Christ. And you might say, well, I heard that the church was declining. That's in America. That's in the West. And that's the nominal church. But under the surface of the headlines, I got news for you. The church is growing. People are coming to Christ like never before. We're seeing Jesus do something new in our day. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And it needs to happen before he comes again. I believe that Jesus is in a hurry to gather his church for his return. And I'm excited. I want to encourage you with that. And here's the writer of the Hebrews talking in the first century to first century believers. And he's saying, look, you know, the world's going to fall apart. The world's going to go to hell. The world's going to come under judgment. And as you see that happen, as you see all the darkness rise, you know what that means? That's just, that should be a prod. That should be a prod in, in your back. Just pushing you into the body of Christ. I, I'm, I'm glad to report, Waters Church, that, that we're now officially over our pre-COVID pandemic attendance numbers. We're seeing more people come to church now than ever before in our history. God is on the move at Waters Church. We're seeing more baptisms than ever before. We're seeing people con connect through life group and small group and action group like never before. We're seeing children hungry, youth hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. It's a great day to be part of God's great church. Amen. 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 Now, last week I gave you three wrong ways to approach the end times, but I want to give you a fourth. 
So the three from last week, three wrong ways to approach the end times. Predictions, we talked about that. Panic and disregard for the end times. Okay, here's the fourth way I wanna give you today. Write this down. Disengaged from Christian community. This is um, the problem that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here when he says to the first century church, look, don't neglect. Don't neglect the meeting together of the church. Okay, by the way, the building that you're in right now is not a church. The building that I'm in right now, that's not a church. That's a, that's a building that we call church, but the church is not a building. The church is the people of God, the people who love Jesus. You, if you are a member of the family of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you walk with him and, and you fellowship with him and you have a belief that he rose from the grave and he's your Lord and Savior, I got news for you, you are the church. And so the, the Christian community is necessary, according to Hebrews, for us more and more as the day of Christ's return comes closer. A lot of people have excuses why they're not in church. I gotta tell you, they're all bad excuses. <laughs> they're, they're not engaged in church. I'm talking about engaged in church. Not Anybody can come to a building. I'm talking about engagement. You have friends in church. You have community in church. You have fellowship in church. You serve in your church. You partner with your church to reach others for the church, for Jesus Christ. And, and, and a lot of people have excuses. I'm too busy. Or, or, or my kids, you know, they got me going everywhere. Some people say, I was hurt by the church. You don't understand my past, my history. The church really, you know, did a number on me. So some people, they say, well, you know, it's something I, I really don't need the church. I, I got Jesus and me and, you know, he's, he's kind of like my personal, personal Lord and Savior. I don't like those terms. I don't like personal Lord and Savior. He's not a personal Lord and Savior. He's a global Lord and Savior. He's a communal Lord and Savior. He didn't come to save a person. He came to save a people. Even when he was on the earth, he didn't call one person. He called 12, 12 disciples, ministered to them. And then he made, he built a church. He said, I, I will build my church. The, church. the word church in Greek is ekklesia. It means assembly. It means a gathering of people. How can you possibly be part of the church when you never get assembled with other people who believe in Jesus? And this is what Hebrews is talking about. He says again, verse, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Let me tell you about the original hearers of this book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. By the way, the book of Hebrews, classic pastor joke. Are you ready for it? All right, the book of Hebrews is the Bible's proof that the man of the house must brew the coffee because it's not she brews, it's Hebrews. <laughs> now, if you are laughing at that, you are easy pray for a comedian. If you're not laughing at that, I feel you. Okay, anyway, let me move on from that. Hebrews, the people of Hebrews' original audience were Hebrews, Jewish people. They had come to Christ, and um, their coming to Christ had caused a lot of conflict in their life. Firstly, um, they left Judaism behind. And uh, they, they, they still, you know, probably celebrated the feast. They probably practiced Sabbath. I'm not saying they left everything. Apart. But what I am saying is that because they followed Jesus, they were kind of excommunicated from their, from their synagogue, from their family, from their religious community. In fact, when you read the book of uh, Revelation, that's what Jesus is talking about most often when he talks about the persecution of his people. They will kick you out. They will throw you out of the synagogue. 
And uh, in every synagogue, there was a roll of names of people who were members of that synagogue. A lot of churches, a lot of Baptist churches have membership roles. We don't have a membership role. We're not Baptists, but we're not, we don't have a membership role. Uh, if you come and you're engaged, we consider you a member. But in, the, but in the first century church or synagogue, they had membership roles. Here's what they did with Jews who became Christians. They would blot out their name. That's where that phrase, blot out, I will blot out your name, comes from. They would blot out their name off the roll. So these were Jews, listen to this, who had been excommunicated from their religious community. And they were struggling with that. Yet they didn't have a spiritual home anymore. And they were a little bit tempted to go back to Judaism. Here's why. Because not only were they hated on by their Jewish brothers and sisters, but the Romans also hated them. Um, the Romans had, had made, at this point anyway, Christianity was an illegal religion. And so they were hated by their family, their natural you know, uh, ancestry, kicked out of their synagogues, and they were hated by their nation. They were kicked out. All you got to do is look, look at uh, Romans 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 32. Just skip down if you got your Bible, but skip down to verse 32. It says this. Recall the former days when, after a hard struggle of sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were treated, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Um, interesting little tidbit about Roman history. We talked about the Jewish synagogue history at this time. Roman history. Uh, the Romans had a rule. And at this time, the Romans had conquered the whole world. And they had conquered what we call now Palestine, really Israel. And they were overlords over the community. And here's how the Romans operated when they conquered a people. Little, this is very interesting to me. Maybe it'll be interesting to you. When they conquered a people, they made it a rule. If you worshipped certain gods when they conquered you, you were allowed to worship those gods uh, continually, even after being conquered by the Romans, because they didn't want to rob you of your spirit, and, and they wanted to give you a little place in the, in the empire. And they, were, they weren't threatened, because after all, they had conquered you, so your God can't be that strong, so who cares? Worship whoever you want. Uh, well, guess which religion fell under that category? The Judaism religion, the, the, the religion of the Jews, Second Temple Jews. And so they had been conquered, and the Romans were like, worship whoever you want, we don't care. If you worship when we all conquered you, I, we don't care about that. Okay, but what the Romans did not allow, and this is very interesting, they didn't allow any new religions and they didn't allow any new gods. Well, guess what? The birth of Christianity, the birth of this new faith, some people would call it a religion, but it's really a new faith, happened in the Roman Empire. So here was how a Jewish person got caught between a rock and a hard place in the first century under Roman rule in a Jewish context. Number one, they were kicked out by their family, kicked out of the synagogue. And number two, they were illegal according to the state. And so they suffered. Now you can imagine under that, under that kind of pressure, the temptation for almost every Jewish Christian would be, maybe I should go back. Because if I go back to Judaism, you know, I don't have to deny Christ outright, but I could go back to like the Jewish, you know, sacrificial system and the laws and all that. And I go back to that. Number one, my family will accept me again. And number two, the Romans will get off my back. So, so here they had a real easy path to peace in their life. 
And so that is the original context, the original audience of this beautiful book we call Hebrews. And the theme of the book is don't go back. Don't. One of the things that he repeats in the book is don't neglect your salvation. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't go and continue in deliberate sin and unbelief because there's no going back. That's not the way. That's not the truth. That's not the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And the whole theme of the book is press on that great passage from Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that entangles and the sin that so easily holds us back. And let us look to Jesus, the run our race, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That, that, that's the theme, right? That's the idea. Don't go back. Hey, wherever you are in Waters Church, just turn to your neighbor and just say, don't go back. Yeah, don't go back. That's the theme. That's the idea. And the reason why the church is so necessary in the end times, do you know why? Because you're going to feel more and more like those first century Jews. You're going to feel estranged from your culture, from America, from your, and maybe you're gonna feel kicked out or ostracized by your family. You might be like those first century Hebrews. Your family doesn't want any part of you and your nation seems more and more crazy every day. And so here you are, spiritual no man's land. You don't know where you belong. I got good news for you. You belong in the church of Jesus Christ. And more and more and more than ever before, we need to get connected and engaged. Key word there, engaged in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? <laughs> because it is our home. This is our home. The church of Jesus Christ is a refuge for every stranger to this world, for every outcast of the community, for every person who feels lost and undone. The church of Jesus Christ is home. And Jesus is saying, come home. I got a home for you. I got a place for you. I'm gonna write your name, not in some synagogue's book of membership. I'm gonna write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And no one can blot it out of that book. Oh, I'm excited to be part of Jesus's church. I hope you are too. But I wanna give you three reasons three reasons in your notes today why you need to be engaged in the church now more than ever. Okay, number one, here's why, and according to the Bible's, ver according to Hebrews writing here. Number one, we have access to the presence of God in the community of Christ. We have access to the presence of God in the community of Christ. Okay. Yes, you can come into the presence of God on your own. You can experience the presence of God in your car, at home, in your office. Yes, at any point, anywhere, we can experience that. But there's nothing better than the presence of God in the community of faith, together. Now, look at verse 19 and 20 again with me. He says, therefore, brothers, circle brothers in your notes. Notice that it is plural, and you could put brothers and sisters there. Therefore, brothers... And then the next words, since what? We. Circle the word we. I'm telling you, do this on purpose because I'm going to make a point. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Circle holy places because it's not singular, it's plural. That's important. He says, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for, circle the word us. 
Oh, I got you writing a lot today, but it's for a purpose. But that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Notice all the plural terms. Brothers, we, places, us. What, uh, commentators say this about um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. At, at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, a radical shift in pronouns happens. Here's the radical shift. It suddenly starts using, in the original text, all of these second person plural pronouns, first person plural pronouns. Plural pronouns are everywhere from Hebrews 10, 19 right through to the end of the book. Because for the first 10 chapters, he's been talking about theology of who Jesus is. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. But then he gets to verse 19 of chapter 10, and he's like, all right, now, since this is true for us, let us, we, Jesus has a people, a body, a community of faith. And I love the lines he says this. We have access to the presence of God, the holy places. Look what he says, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up to us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Okay, here's what's what that means. When Jesus died on the cross, his flesh was pierced. His body had been whipped with the cat of nine tails, ripped open like ribbons of flesh were hanging from his body. It was, it was a bloody, horrible punishment for our sins, but, but it was also a picture of, of, of the way being opened into the person of Jesus Christ. Now here's why he says, through the curtain, and that word in, in, the, in the Hebrew text is important, uh, in the Greek text, through the curtain, the writer is referencing something that literally existed in the first century. In the holy place, the temple, there were three sections, the Old Testament temple, there were three sections. There was the outer court where everybody could come into. There was the inner court or the holy place. That's where the priests offered their sacrifices. That's where they put the showbread and the lampstand and the altar of sacrifice and the wash basin. And then inside there was a cube structure called the Holy of Holies and only one priest one day a year could go into that Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the community. Okay, between the holy place where the priests ministered, and the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain. And you can read about it, actually it's written about in Exodus, but it was a reality in first century Israel in the temple. And this curtain was one foot thick, and it was monstrous. It was probably 20 some odd feet high. And it shrouded, it kept separate the Holy of Holies where God's presence literally dwelt, and the place where the priests ministered. Now, here's what happened when Jesus died. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John even records this. But Matthew says something specifically about this moment. When Jesus dies, Matthew 27, verse 50 says this. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And I, oh, look at this, look at this, this is so good. And behold, the curtain, that one foot thick, 20 foot high sheet that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and don't miss the next line, from top to bottom. Oh, I love that. Do you know what happened? When Jesus died, God the Father took the curtain and ripped it open so that you and I could come into the presence of Almighty God. We can enter, as Hebrews chapter 10, 19 says, into the holy places. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's the gospel, the gospel message. 
He says, no, you're not good enough to get to God. But guess what? Jesus was. And he, he offered a sacrifice for your sins so that your sins could be washed away. God could call you righteous in Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, you have access into the presence of God. Period. Praise God for his grace to us. It was ripped from top to bottom because God did it. It was torn because it was over. The old system was annulled and a new system of grace was inaugurated. And here's the best part. Are you ready for the best part? Anybody can come. Anybody. Can you, can you walk through an open curtain? You can come. <laughs> You don't have to make a way for you to come. Jesus has made. That's what Hebrews 10, 19 is talking about. He made a way, a new and living way. And anybody and everybody who's coming, who wants to, can come. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can come into the presence of God. By the way, that's why the word places is in plural here in Hebrews 10, 19. Because through Jesus' blood, anytime we gather as the church, we create a holy place. Isn't that cool? When you're in, wherever you are in your location, you are in a holy place. And listen to me, this is very important because I'm coming to you by video. So let me put it right on your nose. Are you ready? This place is not holy because I'm there. Because I'm not even there, am I? I'm, in, I'm on video, and it's okay to admit that. This place is holy because you're there. Because you're the church. And wherever the church gathers, the presence of the Lord is there. And you gather as the body of believers. And what makes it special is not the presence of a preacher, but the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ as you gather together as his church. Amen and amen. I got ahead of myself. Let me, back, let me backtrack. The best part of this whole thing is that anybody can come. Whoever believes, John 3, 16. How about 1 Timothy 2, 4? God desires all people to be saved. Some of you say, I don't think I can come to church. I'm not a good enough. Okay, wrong. God desires all people to be saved. How about 2 Peter 3, 9? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, slowness but is patient toward you. Love this line. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all all should reach repentance. God, you might feel like you're not good enough. God wants you to know that through Jesus Christ, you can still come. In fact, in order to come, you have to admit you're not good enough. <laughs> that's, the, that's the flip, right? I'm not good enough to go to church. Yep, come anyway. Jesus has made a way. Then he says in verse 21, and since we have a great priest, I love this, we have a great priest over the house of God. Okay, what that means is, we don't just have access into the presence of God. Are you ready for this? We have assistance. We don't just have access, we have assistance. We have somebody who's gonna help us. In the old covenant, the priests helped the people meet with God by offering their sacrifices. Well, in the new covenant, in the New Testament of God's grace, Jesus becomes our final high priest. In fact, this kind of ties back to what Hebrews chapters one through 10 is all about. Write this down so that you know it for, for later. The theme of Hebrews, the whole book, is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now, this is not on your notes, but let me run it down for you. 
Hebrews chapter one to two, Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews chapter three, Jesus is better than Moses. Hebrews chapter four to seven, Jesus is better than the great high priest of ancient Israel. Hebrews chapter eight, Jesus is better, uh, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant with better promises in himself. Chapter nine, Jesus entered a better temple in the heavenly places and offered, chapter 10, a better and final sacrifice in the heavenly temple. And all that Hebrews is talking about is, don't go back to dead religion. Don't go back to empty Judaism. You don't have anything in that place for you anymore. Jesus is better than Moses. By the way, he's better than David, who beats Goliath and sets God's people free from the enemy of death. He's better than Noah, who provides an ark of safety, who delivers God's people from the coming wrath of God. He's better than Job, who suffered innocently and then prayed and interceded for his friends. He's better than Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and cast into a pit of death and raised on the third day to right, to the right-hand side of God the Father. And he provides grain and food for the world. Jesus is better than all the Old Testament ways and persons because he's the son of the Most High God. And he's made a better way for you and I to come into his presence. But listen very carefully. We do this together, together. Brothers, since we have access, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's enter in, amen. Number two, be engaged more than ever in the church because we are inspired through the church to a closer walk with Jesus. We are inspired through the church to a closer walk with Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is what church does for me when I gather with the church and I'm a pastor and I need it just as much as you. I'm inspired by other people to get close to God. Look at how the writer of Hebrews says it in verse 22. Because of these realities, he says, let us draw near. Let us come closer to God. That's what he's saying. And then he says, with heart, I'm sorry, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, there's a practical side to this point and then there's a spiritual theological side to this point. Let me deal with the practical side. Okay, and, and I, might, I should have done it maybe the other way, but I'll do it this way. The practical side is simply this. And you know this from experience. When you go to something with someone who's really into that thing, and then you experience that thing with other people, you can't help get a little bit more excited about that thing. Now, uh, it could be anything. It could be a concert. It could be a comedian, a show, a play. It could be a sports stadium. I'll never forget the day that I first walked into the old Boston Garden. Oh, I'm talking about the old school, no air conditioned, 100 degrees in June, watching a Celtics game. Boston Garden. It was a small, intimate setting. You felt like you were right next to the players no matter where you sat in that place. Uh, it was also smelly, gross, and oh, thank God they destroyed it. But I'll never forget the first time I walked in and I saw in person Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. Oh, old school. Back when, back when the boss at Celtics were the bosses. And there they were on the court in front of me. And I was just a little kid. And I really, I didn't go because I wanted to. I went because someone brought me. And actually they brought me and my whole family and it was a nice gift and we went. But I 
previously to that was not really interested in the Boston Celtics, not really into, South, into sports at all. But my 10-year-old self, when I, when I walked out of that place, man, I was, I was spiritually or sports-wise born again. <laughs> I suddenly, wow, I walked out of that place inspired for the Boston Celtics. And to this day, I love the Boston Celtics. I love Boston sports teams. It, it had an indelible impression on me. Why? Because I got myself into the quote-unquote congregation, the gathering of the Boston Celtics. Okay, this is why you gotta come to church now more than ever before. It will inspire you to get closer to God. You're drawn in through the excitement of others. That's why we worship God in the beginning. We celebrate him. We sing to him. It's, it's encouraging. It's inspirational. It, it reminds me that I belong somewhere. And that's why now more than ever, as you see what's happening in Israel and in the world, now more than ever, you got to be connected physically in the body of Christ. Online viewing doesn't do it. You need to be in the presence of God's people. Now, that's the practical side. Let me get into the doctrine side. What does he say in the verse? He says, with hearts sprinkled. First, he says, a true heart full of assurance of faith. That's a reminder that you're saved. And then he says, with hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Okay, here's why you come to church. Now, I understand that some of you went to other churches before you came to Waters Church. And there's a good chance, like me, in my, you know, the church that I grew up in, you came to church and, and you left just nod your head if this is true for you. You left feeling worse than you did when you walked in. Can I tell you that that church was doing church wrong? They were doing church wrong. Because I've already discussed, we're not good enough to come to Christ. That's point number one. We talked about that. We don't, we don't come to Christ on our goodness. We come to Christ because of his goodness. Okay, and any church... When you come to it and all they do is get up on stage and tell you how bad you are and how awful you are and you need to do better and you need to be more religious and you need to be more committed and what's wrong with you? Okay, let me just tell you something. They're doing it wrong because that's not the gospel. The gospel is not to do. Here's what you need to do. The gospel is good news. Here's what's been done for you. <laughs> and that's the difference. When you come out of our church, our prayer is that I have made it more, more accessible to you, that Jesus is more real to you, that you realize that, yes, you may have blown it all week. You may have blown it last night. You may have blown it this morning. I don't know, but I got good news for you. Where sin abounds, there grace abounds all the more, that God will wash away our sins. He'll cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, that as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins from us. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you are made righteous before God, and nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the truth. And what you need, and this is so true, and I said this on my deep dive Bible study this week, you need Sabbath, you need Sunday, this, the Christian Sabbath, because you need to stop what you're doing, come to the gathering of God's people, and you need someone outside of you to remind you that is done. It's finished. Jesus has saved you and forgives you. You need, you know, the Catholics, they call it absolution. You need somebody to remind you you're accepted in the beloved. That's what Sunday is for. So you have a heart sprinkled clean 
from an evil conscience. Write this down so I know you're getting it. We don't gather at church to do God a favor. We gather to be reminded God gave us a savior. I love when I can make my points rhyme. (laughs) We don't gather to do God a favor. We gather to be reminded he gave us a savior and that savior has washed us clean inwardly. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Then verse 22, the last part, he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, some people believe that's talking about baptism, water baptism. And while you absolutely should be baptized if you are a believer in Christ, I don't believe that that text is talking about that. And the reason why I don't believe that is because the Bible interprets itself. Scripture interprets scripture. So when he says, your body's washed with pure water, no matter how much we filter our water, it's never pure. There's always some kind of impurity in our water. So that's why I don't think it's the physical act of baptism. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 25, verse 25. Look what it says. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that means purify or make holy, make, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of what? Water with the word. So, so here's what that means. We get, we get saved when we believe in Jesus Christ, but come on, we're still a little bit dirty. We still need old ways and old habits and old emotions and old feelings to go. And here's what God does through his word, through Jesus. He washes us with the word. He, the word is preached and we are cleansed. We are, our, our, our spirit is cleansed. Our hearts are cleansed. When the word of God is preached, um, hatred is washed out and love is poured in. Uh, resentment is washed out and acceptance and compassion is poured in. Greed is washed out, and generosity is poured in. Lust is washed out, and love and holiness is poured in. Unforgiveness is washed out, and forgiveness is poured in. You get the point? That's what the word does. It doesn't mean you're always gonna do it, but it means yes, I need to get this out of my life. I need Jesus to wash this clean. And when we come into the church, when we come and gather together as the church and the word is preached, that's what God is doing. He's literally washing you right now. Number three, be ready for the end times. Be be engaged in the church now more than ever before because when we come together, we are emboldened in a stronger walk with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be stronger in the Lord the closer we get to his return. And uh, I have been personally just absorbing more scripture than ever before. I've been, uh, you know this, teaching more than ever before, preaching more than ever before. Um, I, just, I just see it that that's, that's what we gotta do. We gotta do more, more church, con- more congregational gathering than ever before. And when we do, I believe we get stronger. You come to church, you gather with God's people, it will strengthen your faith. A lot of Christians, they want stronger faith, but they're never in church. Or they're sporadically in the gathering. Or they only come to Sunday. They only come to the weekend gathering. Okay, there's a lot more to be had in this church particularly than just to come and listen to me. Well, that's why we have life groups. That's why we encourage you to serve. That's why we have missions trips 
to Guatemala. There's one coming up to Peru. I'm sure there's another. There might be one coming up. Don't quote me. Check with Pastor Chris or online. We want you more engaged. There's always another level. There's always another level of engagement. Some of you have been in small group. It's time for you to step up to leading small group. But you can apprentice first and then you can lead one. It's, you should be more engaged, not less, because when you engage with the body of Christ, you get stronger. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold, fa- let us hold strong to our confession of hope. And then those two words, without wavering. It, we got to come together so that we stop wavering. For he who promised, the Bible says, is faithful. Let me give you some verses that really show, uh, particularly from the book of Acts, that when we gather, we are strengthened together. Okay? Scripture interprets scripture. So you want a stronger faith? More time in the presence of God in the community of faith. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 21. It says, They, Paul and Barnabas, returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul and Barnabas started these three churches in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They went and started other churches. Then they came back to these other churches, these other assemblies, and they met together. And the Bible says that their souls were strengthened. How? Because they came together. You want to get stronger? You want to get your soul strengthened? Come together in the body of Christ. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers. With what? Many words. We need other people to come alongside, strengthen us in the word. Now, these two next verses are not on the screen. I will just read them to you. Acts 15, 41. And Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Acts 18, 23. After spending some time there, Paul departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This one is going to be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2 and 3. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish That's another word for strengthen. To establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by what? These afflictions. In other words, we're sending people to you to gather with you so that you can be stronger in the face of afflictions. How do we get stronger for Christ? How do we get stronger in the last day? Well, by staying together. Which brings me all the way back to Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to what? To meet together. Hey, let us consider how to stir one another up, not neglecting. Now the word stir up is an old Greek word, one of the oldest Greek words in the Greek language, and it's a very rare word. The word is paroxysmon. Paroxysmon sounds more Jamaican than Greek, but paroxysmon (laughs) is a word that is more, it's more than just, you know, inspire. It actually has a little bit of a negative quotient to it, a little bit of a, 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 neg- a harsh quotient, not negative, harsh. It can mean to instigate. It can mean to provoke. It can mean to needle some. Anybody got a, a younger brother? I got two boys, the younger. He likes to needle, you know. He likes to needle the other one. He just kind of pokes them in the way, provokes them. That's what is meant here by the idea of stir up. So let me tell you what that means. It means that when you miss church, you miss the gathering, it is absolutely biblical for someone to come alongside you and say, 
What's wrong with you? Come on, get back to you. What are you doing? Let's go. And it irritates you and you're like, I don't like that. Good, you need to be irritated back into the kingdom of God. I'd rather you be irritated on this planet in this life than burning in hell in the next life. Write this down so I know you're getting it. Christians need a needle. I just, I thought that was funny. And I want you to write it down so you remember. Someone that you know is no longer coming to church, needle them. You have my permission. You have my blessing. Don't be, don't be a jerk, but you know, be a little brother. Hey, didn't see you this week. Hey, where have you been? Now you can do this any number of ways. You can text message them. You could do it right now. You could text message them right now. Say, hey, I'm at church and you should be here. Where are you? Or you could go on social media and post something to their Facebook page. Or take a picture right now of church and tag them in the picture and say, looking for you. And I've also heard rumors that talking to people still works. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we're on text and social media. I've heard rumors that you can actually still pick up the phone, call them and say, hey, I was thinking about you at church today. I haven't seen you. Where are you at? Come on, don't, don't, don't fall back. Press on, now's not the time. Waters Church, now's not the time. Christians watching me on YouTube, now's not the time. For us to draw back, it's the time for us to press on. If you've got your Bibles open still, this is not on the, on the screen, but, but the end of chapter 10 in Hebrews, it says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now more than ever, be engaged in the church. I heard a story, and I'll close with the story, and then I'll give you the sermon in the sentence. It was a, church, a little village, big church in the on the hill in the village, big, beautiful church, cemetery next to the church, old school. And this family had recently moved there and the father of the family died. And uh, the family had just moved there from far away, so they had no church yet. They, didn't had, they hadn't gone to the church yet. But they knocked on the, on the door of the parish leader and they said, uh, listen, our, our dad just died and we don't know where to bury him. We just moved to the area. We haven't been to church yet, sorry. Can we bury him in the cemetery next to the church? And the parish leader said, no, I'm sorry. That cemetery is reserved only for members of our church. And the family disappointed but understood. And so they called the, the funeral home and the funeral home came and dug the grave outside the fence of the cemetery that belonged to the church. They dug the, 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 the grave for their father, buried their father, headstone, and outside the fence. And they go away. And they come back a week later to lay flowers at the grave. And they come up to the grave, and they see that the grave is now on the inside of the fence. And they're a little bit weirded out, and they have questions. <laughs> so they go, and they knock on the door of the parish leader again. And they say, um... Reverend, uh, we, we noticed that our father's grave, we, we put him on the outside of the fence, but he's on the inside of the fence now. Can you explain? A little weirded out. Can you explain what happened? And the parish leader said, when you left, I watched you walk away, and then I watched out my window as I saw you bury your father outside of our fence, and I gotta tell you, my heart broke, and I felt bad about what I said. And so I went out to the hardware store, and I bought all the tools necessary to come back to the fence, to come back to the cemetery. And I moved 
the fence around your father's grave. Let me tell you something. Jesus has moved the fence for you. He has opened the way for you to come into the presence of God. But you only get stronger and you only get closer and you only get more assured. The darker the days get, the more you're engaged in the life of his family. The sermon in a sentence is simply this. Jesus made the way for you to experience his presence, draw closer and grow stronger in God. Someone needs to hear that today. Someone needs to know that though this is your first time back in church in a long time, that God says, welcome home. As he said to the prodigal, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, and give him the best robe and slaughter the fattened calf because we have to celebrate. My son who was lost is found. He was dead and he's alive. And you can know that right now in Jesus' name. 